This is Big Sky Lead, a dive into the stories about how government and politics drive the direction of Montana. This podcast is from the reporters of the Montana State News Bureau in Helena, your eyes and ears on state government. It's produced by me, Tom Bridge. Our team brings you an examination of Montana's new landscape with new laws, a new governor, and a new Republican dominance across all of state government. I'm here today with Holly Michaels and Seaborn Larson of the Montana State News Bureau, and we're going to do things a little bit differently this episode. We're going to continue off of where we left the last episode, um, discussing their coverage of uh, Montana's Attorney General Austin Knudsen wading into a high-profile dispute with St. Peter's Health uh, Hospital in Helena. Holly, wh- let's just start with a, a quick recap um, for folks who may not have heard the last episode. Yeah, so last time we talked about a story that the Bureau reported where the Attorney General got involved with, there's a situation where there's a patient at St. Peter's who had COVID and she requested ivermectin, which is a medication that's used for certain things. It's not approved for COVID. After she requested that, her family reached out to Deputy Attorney General Chris Hansen, who I don't think we knew at that point was involved. the Deputy Attorney General ended up dispatching a Montana Highway Patrol trooper who went down to the hospital and spoke with a family there. Um, you know, the Attorney General had a conversation with some leadership at the hospital about the patient, and that's really all we knew at that point, mm-hmm. and things have progressed since then. Okay, so where let's start with the progression, where, where it's progressed from there. Yeah, so one of the things we saw is... Uh, Democratic leadership, who are the minority in the legislature, requested a special counsel, which was created earlier this year. It's a new position to look into it, and Seaborn actually did a lot of reporting about what that all was about. Yeah, and we saw um, Democratic legislative leadership um, sort of uh, recognize the hospital statements that um, their healthcare providers were harassed and threatened by public officials. Um, as serious enough to take to the legislative leadership that's House Speaker Wiley Galt and Senate President Mark Blaisdell, who are both Republicans, and request this investigation now after a little bit of back and forth on what the parameters of that uh, probe would be, um, a little bit of learning what the what the special counsel can and cannot do, um, legislate the House Speaker Galt and uh, President Blaisdell approved the probe um, that began... I believe, in uh, late October, early November. And so um, that sort of led to the, to the report that we got last week. So what did, we, what did we learn from this report? Learned a lot of things. I think the main thing is something that we had been able to confirm with sources off the record in our reporting, um, but this put it on the record very clearly that Jennifer Fielder, who's a state public service commissioner, mm-hmm. was involved in this whole dispute. Her role, and this was explained to us through people we talked to through our reporting, but we didn't have it on the record, so we hadn't included it in our coverage. So we found out a lot about Fielder's role in all of this. What the report says is Fielder left a voicemail with um, a, a department in the hospital where she first introduced herself as a state senator and then walked back and said former state senator. That was her role before she ran and was elected to the Public Service Commission. 
And she was saying that she had heard from the patient's family. She was frustrated that the patient wasn't getting the treatment she had requested, which Fielder said in this voice message was ivermectin, ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine, which mm-hmm. are both medications, though not approved to treat COVID. Fielder in the message said something to the effect of you, at, you know, the hospital needs to keep this as a record. She made a threat of a lawsuit if things didn't turn out good. So that's something that we had heard about but hadn't been able to report before. Um, it was a pretty, pretty big part of that report. The rest of it confirmed a lot of what we had reported already, which was the Deputy Attorney General Chris Hansen had dispatched a highway patrol trooper, that there had been a conversation between Hansen and, um, and the patient's family, that the Attorney General, his involvement included a phone call with the hospital Um, CEO, a board member, and the chief medical officer, which is something we'd reported on. Um, I think what the report says about that call is where a lot of coverage focused on, which was the CEO. The question Seaboard mentioned earlier, the hospital, after this incident, said, you know, our providers were threatened, their medical judgment was questioned. The attorney general has disputed that characterization, Mm -hmm. and in this report, you know, he said, I found that call to be cordial. The special counsel spoke with the board or the hospital CEO, who said you know, he didn't feel threatened by it. But what the report doesn't include is the takeaway from other people who were on that call, and also the reactions of you know this call had reverberations through the hospital. There was a text message from the attorney general that was sent to a board member that was circulated around the hospital that a lot of people we've spoken with also found very threatening. That text message said. From the attorney general, he said, you know, I'm on the verge of sending down law enforcement and bringing charges. And, you know, that text message wasn't, you know, just between those two people, but was circulated pretty widely after that. So that's something that this report doesn't get into because of a lot of limitations of what the special counsel is and isn't. Um, She can review, when we're in the interim between sessions, government records, but Mm -hmm. she can't, like, go to a private business and subpoena people. Right, So. A lot of things unanswered, I think, still. Okay, so we have this dispute uh, over uh, a patient um, wanting medication that the hospital was not willing to provide. The Attorney General and other elected officials step in. This prompts an investigation, or this prompts Democrats in the state legislature to call for an investigation using this newly created investigatory arm of the legislature, this special counsel. They produced a report. Holly, you've, you mentioned some things that weren't in the report. Seaborn, can you tell us what else was in the report? Yeah, and I think it's important to note here um, kind of what the report is and what it isn't. And so, so the statute that lawmakers put into place earlier this year that created the special counsel position um, gave her different powers versus, like, during the legislative session, which is only four months out of every two years, uh, versus outside of the legislative session during the interim. And so while uh, we're still outside of the session, really special counsel Aubrey Belke, she was the former chief of staff for Senate Republicans during the session, um, you know, she's able to examine all uh, government documents related to the scope and kind of within the parameters of the investigation that was laid out. But she was, is not able to subpoena witnesses or um, speak with anybody outside of uh, government about the probe. Um, I mean, it's a pretty narrow line she had to walk um, in sort of compiling all this information. And so um, 
kind of what we get out of the report is uh, something of a timeline of when things happened. We know is the weekend of October 9th when a uh, 82-year-old woman was admitted to the hospital. Um, we kind of find out through later contacts uh, that Miss um, Belkey spoke to that uh, this patient was a politically connected um, individual in the in sort of the, the Helena scene. A lot of uh, Republican women's groups. Um, she at one point had worked with the uh, at the state senate, and so um, certainly not just sort of a, a you know common person just off the street, right? And so um, as as days kind of go on, uh, and I believe this woman's condition worsens, worsens. Um, you know, the the hospital is trying to, um, I suppose, treat this patient with. Um, clinical practices that they are comfortable with while the family and the patient's advocate gets a little more um, uh, worked up about her worsening condition, so much so that they reach out to the deputy AG. Um, And at one point, the patient's uh, family and advocate who are on the phone with deputy AG Hansen, um, you know, kick that call onto speakerphone so that Deputy Hansen is already is speaking directly with the providers. And the report makes clear that um, the Deputy AG Hansen did not initiate that uh, conversation with providers, but she still did uh, discuss with them sort of the legal ramifications of their choices. Mm-hmm. And um, I think without getting too much further into the report doesn't get too much further into that, but what the patient's family has certainly tried to push at the hospital is um, this right to try law that was passed um, several years ago, but certainly doesn't compel doctors to use things like ivermectin in a case where it's not clinically approved. And so um, sort of from that point, uh, when we interviewed Aubrey Belke after the report came out, you know, she told us that like some of the gaps in her, um, Understanding of this entire sequence of events is sort of how we got from um, complaints to the Deputy AG Hansen to the point where uh, the Attorney General, I believe, had dispatched the trooper to the hospital, but that trooper went to the hospital on October 12th, on the night of, uh, yeah, the night of October 12th, had collected statements from the family in the hospital parking lot and then uh, reported back to Deputy AG Hansen before taking the report to the um, Lewis and Clark County Attorney's Office who told us sort of at the beginning of our reporting that they had found no um, no issue that warranted crim- further criminal investigation here. And so um, the sort of following events is the, the AG then is texting with a board member from uh, St. Peter's Health. That leads ultimately to a call with, as Holly said, the CEO, uh, the chief medical officer, and a and that board member. Um, and then sort of the uh, St. Peter's CEO response to Knutson later that day uh, to essentially say that we've followed through, we've kind of closed the loop on the things that you've requested, and that includes, uh, you know, there was no further delay of legal documents as this family alleged and um, you know the, uh, the hospital is, is at least communicating with the family in a way that allows some more com- communication between the family and the patient and so the council spoke um, 
most directly with um, the hospital's uh, attorney to Mm -hmm. sort of flesh out the question of whether or not the attorney general had um, threatened or harassed anyone Mm -hmm. himself. The only person she asked about whether or not they felt threatened was the CEO CEO. of the hospital, which is um, not somebody who we had heard felt threatened or harassed in that part. And because when we asked uh, Abra Bilkey about that later on, she had sort of talked again about that narrow line she had to walk. Right. Because of the precedent that this investigation is going to set as the first investigation by the new special counsel. So that also limited her work pretty greatly. Okay, and so we, we know that the CEO of the hospital says that he did not feel threatened by the calls. Um, but there are other people at the hospital that are kind of saying they had a different takeaway. Holly? Yeah, um, we've been talking with folks kind of up and down through the hospital um, in different capacities for this story. We did have one doctor who went on the record who was saying if she spoke to sort of the reverberations of all of these events Mm -hmm. and that it had a pretty chilling effect on providers that they were worried, you know, the attorney general and I think Republican leadership after this report came out really pointed heavily to saying, you know, this trooper was dispatched to the hospital, but they didn't go inside. They didn't talk to doctors. They just talked to families. But doctors we talked to said, you know, they didn't know that. They knew that law enforcement was or had been threatened to be sent to the hospital. They didn't know if they were going to be drug out or not. They just, Mm -hmm. they didn't know. So what happened versus what they thought and were worried was going to happen made them feel threatened when they were doing their jobs. Um, So, yeah. I think there's a lot of other things we don't really know about the trooper specifically being sent, um, you know, the attorney general's office has pointed to a lot of different mechanisms that give them jurisdiction to send a trooper to the hospital because, you know, normally we look at this hospital it's in Helena city limits, Helena PD or the Lewis and Clark County Sheriff's Office. There's a lot of calls to the hospital right. daily for a lot of different stuff, and it's never highway patrol that right. goes down. And you see more mentioned the patient's involvement in Republican politics. There's a lot of ties there, but specifically why Highway Patrol was the right person to respond, we still don't know from this report. Previously, the AG's office pointed to a lot of different segments in state code. At one point, they pointed to a unit that investigates Medicaid fraud. In this report, there's a thing called the community caretaker Mm -hmm. provision that comes up where it looks like it's a little bit more cited when someone might be pulled over and a trooper would help them or like go in their car and it kind of crosses the line between like a search or am I just coming into this car to help someone who might be having a medical emergency like that seems to be where it comes up a little bit more in case law so that still is one question that this report leaves pretty wide open is jurisdictionally and that's what you know Seaborn was saying that Belki said once there's uh, confidential criminal justice information the AG is saying is a lot of details that's in this investigation they're still making into what happened into the family's claims. Belke told us that you know, once that's able to be released, it should make the whole jurisdictional question a little more clear. Okay, so it sounds like there's definitely still some reporting to be done to get down to the bottom of it. But yeah. for all parties involved, is this 
a done deal? Where, where does it go from yeah. here? There's still a lot, I think, left. Like we said, the AG is still doing their investigation. You know, the report doesn't, and Belki made pretty clear through her limitations, like she was not able to speak to the family at all because the family, and the attorney general keeps pointing to this, was making some pretty serious claims to the attorney general, saying they couldn't see the patient, although it was COVID, there's a lot of visitor restrictions there. They were saying that there was power of an attorney document that wasn't delivered timely. You know, the hospitals disputed that. The CEO in his text to the AG said you know, he looked into that and he didn't see any undue delay there. Um, you know, the right to try stuff's come up. I think that, you know, doesn't really apply in this situation, but the families brought that up as a concern. So, you know, all of those claims and whatever the attorney general's looking into there, we don't know. The jurisdictional piece, the other thing is with Jennifer Fielder, the public service commissioner, um, and we have a request and Belki asked to see any documents that she might have produced that would be related to this. Mm-hmm. Fielder wrote back, you know, that I wasn't acting as public service commissioner in my involvement in this, so there are no records. But that doesn't, you know, we can't see her records yet. Um, right. You know, Belki took that as, you know, this is what an elected official is telling me I need to take them at their word so she didn't pursue looking at you know fielders maybe text messages or emails any further our newspapers have a request in for fielders right. communications that we're still working through so I think that's a big claim or does big the does the special answer. counsel have a th- legislative authority to investigate so the public I, service commissioner and you might and jump in here. This is how I sort of understand it is, you know, she can investigate government records. Like, that's a pretty clear thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would take Fielder's emails as a public service commissioner's government records. Belki is saying, you know, I'm, I'm asking her if these records exist. She's saying they don't. Mm-hmm. I'm sort of left to take her at her word. Um, you know, agencies do have to cooperate with the special counsel, but it seems like it's hinging on Fielder saying that nothing exists. Hmm. Like you can't just go in and blanket look at everything Jennifer Fielder's done. Okay. What are, yeah. yeah, and I, I think that, again, um, was a point where uh, Belkey had um, seen her abilities during the interim outside the legislative session, and um, rather than letting this probe kind of turn into a sprawling investigation with in mind that uh, future special counsels, counselors uh, might take their discretion a little too far if they're investigating certain agencies, um, sort of reined herself in again. And, um, you know, the question of was Fielder involved has has been answered. To what extent we at least know the voicemail, a voicemail that Aubrey Belke has uh, in her possession as part of this probe. And so um, perhaps she uh, could have gone further and said, you know, are there any notes Fielder has that may be related to what the family told her, or maybe right. if she, was she in com- any contact with the AG's office during this time? But um, I mean, what Belki told us that kind of surprised me the other week was, um, you know, her concern that looking at the statutes and the ability of the special counselor is that if if an activist or someone is who's uh, maybe a little bit um, less concerned with the uh, limitations of the job or to take over as special counsel, I mean, that person could be papering government agencies um, until they all of a sudden are um, finding enemies of the state or something up to that effect. I right. think that's a little further than what 
Belkey told us, but certainly the implication was there that this uh, position could be greatly abused in the future, and um, right. um, I think that was a I think that was a concern that certainly directed Belkey's probe here. So you said in the voicemail that uh, Public Service Commissioner Jennifer Fielder um, threatened a possible lawsuit. Has there been any legal filings against the hospital? There's not been no. Okay. Um, you have heard a lot of different rumors about things coming from mm-hmm. all sides of this, but we but haven't seen anything. Yet. Yeah, and we think for Fielder's involvement, kind of coming back to that, we we tried to reach out to her several times um, through our reporting on this before her name was made public through this report. At one point, we did connect with her, and she made pretty clear she was not talking to us and hung up the phone. Um, I think the unanswered questions are she's saying she was getting involved because she knows this person mm-hmm. personally, but as you know, the voicemail that Belkey heard, Fielder makes clear at that point, you know, a former title, but an official elected title, right. and, and she's speaking in that capacity. Right. So I think, you know, maybe she's saying that because she went on to say, like Seaborn said, that this person, the patient, had worked during the legislature, so maybe she was just trying to explain the relationship there, but you know, without Fielder really answering questions or being able to see into her records, there's still just a lot of questions it's hard left. Right. Yeah. So the legislative leadership are was the body that, that called for the involvement of the special counsel in this investigation. What are they saying now that the report is out? I think what we're hearing from people is one of the most interesting things here because, you know, like Belkey made clear to us and the report itself makes clear, like she can't draw conclusions. She right. can't say the attorney general didn't threaten, the attorney general did. So in that void, we're seeing, you know, the political sides draw their own conclusions from okay. it. So Republican um, spokesperson for Republican leadership that approved this, you know, they sort of, they really only focused on the attorney general in the statement mm-hmm. they issued, and they said this shows, you know, the AG didn't threaten anyone, citing just the CEO's reactions there. They also focused a lot on sort of defending the trooper, saying the trooper wasn't used as a threat. We saw the Attorney General's office a little more broadly come out and say, see, look, this shows that we there was no threats made. This was just drummed up by the media in opposition to us. Democrats, on the other hand, had a really different read. They said, you know, look, this shows that they got involved inappropriately. It raises these questions about jurisdiction. Um, you know, they've sort of taken it that way. So we've seen a lot of different reactions. The hospital, meanwhile, has you know reiterated their previous statement that providers felt threatened, that this was an inappropriate overstep by elected and public officials to try to direct patient care and change mm-hmm. patient care. So the hospital really hasn't backed down at all. They issued another statement after this report, you know, reiterating it more strongly, saying, yes, this is what happened. We, it was inappropriate. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of different right. people with their own take on what it means. Right. Well, while we're here um, chatting about uh, the Attorney General, why don't we jump over to a uh, completely different dispute that uh, we've also been covering. Um, And this involves a... uh, something that happened at a restaurant here in Helena that the Attorney General um, stepped into when the county attorney... um, decided that uh, they didn't want to. Yeah, so what happened, just to recap that, a man named Rodney Smith was charged um, for this incident that happened at a restaurant here in Helena. 
court documents and affidavits said Smith came in, he and his wife were asked for face coverings. This was when there was a statewide mandate for face coverings in places like restaurants. They refused, that escalated. Smith knocked over a table that had waters on it. According to the affidavit, and this is something that Smith's lawyer has disputed, but as this altercation sort of became physical and then um, the restaurant general manager and Smith who were in this interaction separated Smith sort of lifted up his shirt he padded a black holster that according to the affidavit had a black handgun in it and said something to the fact of like um, I'll get you or something like that threatening Mm -hmm. and so that's where the charges came from and again Smith's attorney has um, disputed that he had a handgun okay you know, more saying, like, oh, it was just a whole story. might have had a handgun, but it was in the car. That's something we aren't entirely clear about. The affidavit says that people said there was a handgun. Um, the county attorney here saw enough evidence to go forward with charges of assault with a weapon for that threat made with a handgun to misdemeanors um, sort of related to the altercation around it. We say the attorney general came in, he reviewed it, he wanted the county attorney here to drop some of the charges there was a change in law in the most recent legislative session that some of the things that Smith is accused of would no longer be against the law if they happened after the session, but it was still legal when he did, or was accused of doing them. Um, the county attorney told the AG, nope, I can't do that in good conscience and still uphold my oath of office, so then he asked the AG to take over the case, which they did. Since we reported that, the AG has reached a plea agreement where they've dropped um, serious charges. Instead, it looks like Smith will agree to one charge that's related to misdemeanor for you know, flipping over the table with waters or turning, upturning this table with waters, knocking them all off. Um, and we've talked to the restaurant general manager and some of the employees. They're pretty mm-hmm. frustrated by that. They feel like they just really didn't get their chance to explain what happened in court or have any input into this plea agreement. Um, they were kind of kept in the dark. You know, they said they found out from news reports about the AG taking over the case and um, about the plea agreement. They just haven't had any involvement at all. Um, and they said, you know, we understand that Mr. Smith and his attorneys dispute what we're saying. That's why we wanted to go to court because right. that's where we felt like this should have been decided. So there's a December 9th is the hearing for the plea deal in that, and we'll see what the judge says. All right. Well, that's another episode of Big Sky Wheat. Uh, If you want to keep hearing this, make sure to subscribe wherever podcasts are found. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Tom.